0: Matthew chapter 2, 13 to 23, New International Version. Escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years older or under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, And refusing to be comforted because they are no more the return to Nazareth after Herod died an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said get up take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead so he got up took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod he was afraid to go there Having been warned in a dream, he, w- he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled that was set, what was said through the prophets, that he would be called to Nazareth. Thanks be to God.
1: Hi, good morning, um, and uh, yeah, as Richard says, my name's Joe, um, if, if we've not met, it's um, uh, hello, nice to see you, and um, come say hello after the service, I'd love to meet you. It's my real privilege to, to be um, vicar here at All Souls and to, um, and to welcome people each week um, and, and get to know more people each week so um, last year uh, we had a church youth social at cadabulous soft play area in summary if you 've never been there or if you've never been somewhere similar it is four stories of padded climbing frame. It's a kind of labyrinth of twists and turns and ladders and obstacles and slides. It's basically a a kind of crazy adventure playground on steroids. It's designed for little ones, but we booked out the place for our teens. Um, And to add a little spice, um, we hired the center's laser tag set, which was one pound a head extra. It was a very easy decision. And uh, so we uh, set out to do battle. It battles, reds versus blues. And as the countdown to the first game started, um, I ran and I found myself what I thought was a good vantage point. It was quite well hidden um, with an excellent view out across the play frame. Um, but the moment the game started, just as soon as the countdown ended, my gun was deactivated. And uh, I I became something, convinced that something was wrong with my my laser gun and the equipment. Because, you know, immediately I was deactivated. And that lasts 10 seconds. When you get hit, you're, you're deactivated. 10 seconds. And then as soon as that countdown finished, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, I was deactivated again. And again. And again. And this happened, I think, six or seven times in a row. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was just about to go to the find the marshal where I heard this sneaky laugh <laughs> and realized that a young person who shall remain nameless upon whom I shall be wreaking vengeance when we return there later this year was hidden in a kind of dark space below I was up on the sort of second third floor and there was this kind of gap through to this uh, this dark space and they had me in their sights and they were just picking me off repeatedly every time I reactivated straight away again and so this morning I want to talk about um, coming under fire and how we can fail to recognize that it's happening. So we're in part four of a, a, a series on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we began uh, in December, I think, with uh, December the 10th, with a long list of names. The, the surprising family tree of Jesus, surprising because it includes all sorts of, um, kind of quote, unsuitable characters. And from there we had the story of Jesus' birth, which I think we covered uh, pretty comprehensively in our Christmas services. Last week we looked at the arrival of the Magi from the east, the implications that this Messiah, this Savior, this rescue plan was for all people, all nations of all backgrounds. This is God's rescue plan, the rescue plan today the nativity story gets one last throw of the dice if you like like that kind of christmas tree that's just been left up just that little bit too long um i was thinking back to 2021 the year just before we arrived here and um we went into a january lockdown i don't know if you remember the january lockdown and we we we, we were just slightly in denial um and just kept the christmas tree up for a couple of extra weeks just to try and um uh just see off the the the, the despair um <laughs> but this part of the story i guess while it's mentioned in a few of our carols it rarely gets preached on at christmas um it's a pretty dark tale to be honest because it turns out that the nativity story doesn't have a happy ending Uh, there are lots of words that we highlight at christmas from the, the the biblical accounts like peace and gift and birth and angels and light And there are these others like slaughter and flight and brutality and child murder and refugee that we tend to shy away from. You know, we could try sticking those on our Christmas flyer next year and see how many people come to our festive services. But those words are key parts of the story of Christ coming into the world. So we're going to look at them and think about what they have to say to us um, as followers of this Jesus. So a question for all of us this morning, what does success look like? Um, that's a, a, a question some of us may be asking at the start of this year. What will a win look like for us in 2024? Um, perhaps for fans of Luton or dare I say at Brentford, it might simply mean staying in the Premier League. Perhaps for politicians it will mean winning an election. Probably elections coming up in the UK and the US. Maybe for parents, it's getting a whole night's sleep. You know, however you define a whole night's sleep. You know, I think when we first got six hours in a row after having Nathan, that I thought, yes, this, this is beginning to look a little bit more like a night's sleep. Or a child uh, potty trained or into a school or through their exams. And for others... It could mean getting a promotion, or a pay rise, or a new job, or paying off some debt. And, uh, you know, I I think this this may just reflect my age and stage, but I think I, most naturally, I I, I equate success with ease. Um, Life feels a bit overwhelming a lot of the time, and uh, I often feel if it were just a little bit easier, you know, then, then that would be a win. Now, I think a lot of us would apply that idea to our faith or our walk with Jesus, our journey of discipleship. If it, if it could all just be just a little bit easier, just a little bit less of a battle, then, you know, I'd take, I'd take that. That'd be good. Because I think instinctively we're built to feel that if something is going well, or rather we're, we're built to think that, if, that something is going well when it's coming easy, or at least it's getting easier. That's the kind of sign that our life is, or our way of life is working, that we're doing well. If it's hard, or if it's getting harder, then we're prone to think that we must be going wrong somewhere. We're doing badly. But as we look at this story, what do we learn about a successful life of following Jesus? You know, we talk about becoming like Jesus at this church. That's kind of part of our vision, and modeling our lives on his. Um, you know, his life, the ultimate expression of a whole and integrated life. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. But what can we expect successfully living a life like Jesus to feel like? What might it say to your friend or your family member or your colleague who says to you or at least thinks your faith is just a crutch, you know, something to make you feel a bit more comfortable? Because there's not very much comfort in this story. So here's the uh, account in a nutshell, and uh, the main character in Matthew 2 is Herod, and Herod's job title, he is, he is the king of the Jews. And last week I, I spoke a little bit about the political backdrop to this story. Now the I come to Herod, this Roman puppet king, asking where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Herod, understandably, is upset, and he immediately starts scheming to put an end to this threat now here's a little bit bit of what we know about this herod chap when he came to power his first act was to have the whole hasmonean dynasty that's the family of his predecessor executed at one point he executed half of the sanhedrin that was the kind of group of 70 um, jewish ruling body um, leaders On another occasion, he had 300 officials executed. On another occasion, he had his wife executed, along with her mother and three of his sons. Ahead of his own death, he ordered dozens of noblemen to be gathered in a building and decreed that when he died, the occasion should be marked and he should be mourned by killing all of them. Now, that last one actually didn't end up happening. That's what he decreed. So when Herod orders the killing of all the boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem under the age of two, estimates put that likely to be around the number of about 20 or 30 um, babies and and toddlers. In order to eliminate a perceived threat, we shouldn't really be surprised. It's not out of the realms of possibility by any means. So the angel warns Joseph in a dream, um, flee the country. No sooner have these kind of visitors left from this idyllic nativity scene, Jesus' life is in danger. And he becomes with his parents essentially an asylum seeker. Crossing into Egypt, likely not far from where we're seeing today many tens of thousands desperately trying to cross that same border. Herod carries out his threat Matthew quotes the prophet Jeremiah poetically describing um, Rachel. Rachel was the the wife of Jacob who who first bore the name Israel. Weeping at the destruction caused by the exile of God's people from um, from their land 600 years before this. Um, Herod dies, angel returns in a dream, tells him to go home, but Herod's son Archelaus is um, just as bad, it seems. So just after another warning and another dream, they head north, and they settle in the region of Galilee in a town called Nazareth, where we'll pick up the story next time in chapter 3. So why is this story in the Bible? I mean, in one sense, we could ask, was all of this necessary? You've got a sovereign God. Why not just get Herod to drop dead, um, as happens to another king in the Book of Acts? Uh, save the horror, save the trauma, save the round trip to Egypt. You know, in, in the Old Testament, Egypt is never a, a country that is portrayed positively. In the Old Testament, and I think the clue is that there's an important prophetic fulfilment and symbolism in Jesus coming out of Egypt. It's a theme that we'll explore as we um continue to look at Jesus's emerging ministry in Matthew's Gospel Matthew is full of these Old Testament quotes and imagery and um kind of his evidence of how the Jewish scriptures um our Old Testament all point to Jesus but what is Matthew trying to show us what does he think followers of Jesus need to take from this story and again, I'm just going to use three simple headings from the uh, late, great Tim Keller. Um, go look him up. If you haven't come across Tim Keller before, um, go, go look him up. Go, go look up his story. Um, since his death last year, much of his work has been put online. Um, you can t- listen to some of his brilliant teaching uh, while you do the chores or while you work out at the gym or you commute to work or whatever. So uh, first, Christianity is a fight. Now, with good reason Christians have become, I think, uncomfortable with the use of kind of military metaphor, given the chequered history of conflict and imperialism and crusades and tragic role that the church played in all of those. Contrary, it should be said, to the way of Jesus. But while Jesus taught us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us, not kill them, the Bible is also clear that we are in a battle. And it's a spiritual battle, but it plays out on a human level. So, in a few chapters' time, we're going to see Jesus say in Matthew 10 34, Think not that I've come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Man versus father, daughter versus mother. But more than outward battles, it's an inward war. I should probably say we need to explain that a little bit deeper. We'll get to it when we get to Matthew 10 at some point, probably in july um we'll see but it's an inward war when jesus comes into our lives it creates conflict yes he brings inward peace and many of us would testify to that the, the peace that jesus brings but he also brings a kind of inner warfare now, c.s lewis said that you know Christ, non-christians could be very peaceful he said the best way to live a life an easy life is to, to live for yourself To not love anybody sacrificially not to carry any hope and if that's who you are before you meet jesus then jesus is going to come and mess things up for you like he did for herod he won't just let us carry on with our selfish lies i mean it's been said that he loves us too much for that he will push us in the direction of self-giving sacrificial love like him And this is hard. It creates conflict within. A new battle begins that wasn't there before. A tension between the values of God's kingdom and the values of the world. So Christianity creates a fight. Secondly, it's a fight because Jesus comes to be king. The Magi didn't come looking for a lifestyle guru. They came looking for a king. That was the cause of the conflict. That's why Herod took these drastic measures. And Matthew says that Herod, a paranoid, insecure despot, was, quote, troubled. It's probably something of an understatement. Jesus is easy if you take a little bit of what he said here and there. You know, be nice, welcome children, look after the vulnerable, try to forgive, pay your taxes you can't cherry pick if you follow him because he also said deny yourself take up your cross and follow me he said better to lose an eye or a hand than to lose me he comes to be king and the Herod in us who wants to remain on the throne of our own lives doesn't like it so as soon as we surrender or choose to surrender to jesus a battle commences in our hearts and to the end of our days really the unsanctified part of our nature fights against his kingship we accept his salvation but his lordship that's a kind of a day-by-day constant battle the new testament has a lot to say about this third if you are associated with jesus you will be persecuted now remember Jesus is born in Bethlehem because that's his family village. You know, they had to go there for the census, which means that for many of Jesus's cousins, just being related to Jesus was enough to get them killed. Jesus described all who do his will as his mother and brothers and sisters. In 2 Timothy three, twelve says that all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus can expect to be persecuted. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we should have a a persecution complex you know um from his birth story throughout his ministry there were always people who were kind of attracted to jesus but there were also always those who wanted to kill him or at least do away with him so it makes sense that if we're like him we will elicit those same two responses i like again what keller says about this if you're always persecuted You're probably doing something wrong because Jesus was incredibly attractive. Probably just means that you're rude and you know self-righteous and insensitive if you're always persecuted. But if you're always popular, then you're also probably doing something wrong because Jesus was also persecuted. If you never make anyone mad, he says, then it probably means you're so lukewarm that nobody can tell the difference. So, in other words, if you're always being persecuted unlike Jesus, or you're never being persecuted, unlike Jesus, then you are, by, defi- by definition, unlike Jesus. And part of our vision statement, as I said, is to be like Jesus. So he attracts and he repels, so should we. Um, one to mull on as we go into the week, if you're in a small group, that's something you could discuss if you're feeling brave. so to return um what does success look like for you what would a win in your walk with Jesus be in 2024 would I stick with my first answer and say for it just to become just a little bit easier because that doesn't seem to be the outworking of, of this story you know those associated most closely with Jesus in Matthew 2 have a rough ride And that doesn't really change, to be honest, throughout Matthew's Gospel or, in fact, the New Testament. Maybe it's better to flip that around and ask, what does failure look like? Maybe you feel like you're failing in your faith, in your discipleship to Jesus, precisely because it is so much of a battle. The sense that you so often feel like you are losing that battle. You mess up, you fail, you feel defeated so often, you feel like you let God down. Well, what if I said that that battle is not the sign of failure, but it's the sign of victorious Christian living? John Mark Comer wrote um, a book last year. It was not an easy read. It spoke some uncomfortable words about some difficult topics you know everybody loved his book on how we need to slow and be more like jesus and live more whole lives through the ruthless elimination of hurry not so much this book called live no lies and in it he unpacked what the bible teaches about our battle with essentially with three enemies our our sinful nature the prevailing culture and and satan aka the flesh the world and the devil who um the devil is described as in the bible the enemy of our soul The problems in our world, he says, have this spiritual dimension to them. Herod was trying to kill Jesus in this story, but ultimately he was just a tool for a, a greater spiritual agenda that wanted to see God's rescue plan fail. And Paul says in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, that is, people, And it's worth remembering that as we kind of go through this year and we look at the kind of the political posturing or the global conflicts um, or even, you know, stories of huge miscarriages of justice. These all have a human element to them, obviously, but these are also all things that have the hallmarks of the one who opposes Jesus' reign. The problem we face is failing to appreciate where the attacks are coming from sometimes we think it's this individual or that oppressive system or the problem is 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 with ourselves you know why am i struggling so much and i think we need to wake up and we need to recognize that there's someone hiding in the dark space taking pot shots at us if you like some humorous but profound insight into this read c.s lewis's screw tape letters um it's the uh, it's uh, the imagined correspondence of diabolical powers concerning a, a new christian it's, it's great fun but it's very powerful stuff and if there's a, a clear application from this talk um i think it would just simply be to pray you know if the battle is spiritual then we have to fight it with spiritual weapons you know, we need to worship, we need to pray, like the, the prayer and worship evening that, that Ritesh mentioned earlier. We have to contend in these areas of struggle or for um, those people and those situations that we care about, where the battle is raging. That's kind of the normal practice of the Christian life. Two scriptures to end with, um, and then we'll, we'll pray and then we'll move into our time of communion Um, I've shared the the, the first one, this first one before. It's it's Jesus' words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. It's just after, um, you know, the stuff about the vine and the branches, which is kind of uh, some of our vision verses. Uh, He said this, I have told you these things, he's talking to his disciples, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus spelling it out. What to expect and then these famous verses from hebrews 12 which some of us read together just a couple of days ago therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses the writer is talking about kind of heroes of the faith of the bible many of whom had a very hard time of it by the way let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.